If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Good afternoon, everyone. It has been a busy week. There were so many stories to talk about, but with the fourth and possibly last Republican primary debate going down on Wednesday, that has to take precedent. As I organized my schedule and got prepared to capture, review, and comment on that, I discovered that the challengers to Joe Biden on the Democrat side were not going to sit idly by and tolerate the situation over there and would be holding a roundtable discussion at the conclusion of the Republican event. I really want to cover that, and I did capture it, but I'm already running late on this episode, so I will review that event in the next show. The debate was sponsored by News Nation and held at the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, and the moderators were Megyn Kelly, former Fox and NBC talent, and now hosting a podcast on Sirius XM, former Fox producer, New York Sun and political reporter, National Review editor, and now Washington Free Beacon editor-in-chief, Leanna Johnson. And from News Nation, former CBS, NBC, and ABC reporter Elizabeth Vargas. The four candidates who made the stage were Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former South Carolina Governor and United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Candidate Asa Hutchinson did not get anywhere near meeting the donor and polling requirements for the debate, and candidate Doug Burgum is no longer a candidate, having suspended his campaign this week. The moderators began by stating that due to the state of affairs, being even many Democrats think Joe Biden is a weak candidate, and that many Republicans think Trump's multiple legal troubles could impair his quest for a second term, it means one of you could wind up the leader of the free world. Which led to their first question of electability. Ron DeSantis was the first to get grilled, with the moderator pointing out his campaign and super PAC have spent the most money, had the highest net worth donors, and the most momentum going into this race. Ms. Kelly said DeSantis was seen as most likely to consolidate the non-Trump field, but with a month to go before the first voting, he's failed to do it. She added Nikki Haley is beating him in New Hampshire and North Carolina, and closing in on him in Iowa, and with Trump beating him in his own state by 30 points. Is it fair to say, as Senator Tim Scott did when he dropped out, that voters are telling you, not no, but not now? He dismissed polls, reminding her the polls said there would be a red wave the last election cycle that crashed and burned, but that the one place it didn't crash and burn was in the state of Florida. They weren't predicting uh, that I would win the way I did, and I won the greatest Republican victory in the history of the state of Florida. He then pivoted into his first attack on Nikki Haley. And you have other candidates up here like Nikki Haley. She caves. Anytime the left comes after her, anytime the media comes after her, I did a bill in Florida to stop the gender mutilation of minors. It's child abuse and it's wrong. She opposes that bill. She thinks it's fine and the law shouldn't get involved with it. When she got her time, Haley responded to that. Just to respond to Ron, I, he continues to lie about my record. I actually said his don't say gay bill didn't go far enough because it only talked about gender until the third grade. And I said it shouldn't be done at all, that that's for parents to talk about. It shouldn't be talked about with schools. It was then Nikki Haley's turn in the hot seat, with Kelly pointing out Haley left government service in 2018 with just $100,000 in the bank, and that five years later she is worth $8 million, thanks to lucrative speeches and board memberships like she had with Boeing. It was also brought up that Haley was meeting with large Wall Street heavyweights from J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and BlackRock, and that these and other rich donors would have expectations. The crux of the question was, 
aren't you too tight with the banks and the billionaires to win over the g o p s working class base which mostly wants to break the system not elect someone beholden to it haley was unashamed and after responding to desantis earlier comments she turned to her answer to the moderator's question but when it comes to these corporate people that want to suddenly support us we'll take it but you can they don't i don't ask them what their policies are they ask me what my policies are and i tell them what it is sometimes they agree with me sometimes they don't some don't like how tough i am on china some don't like the fact that i've signed pro life bills some don't like the fact that i may oppose corporate bailouts that doesn't matter that's who i am and that's why the most conservative grassroots group in the country americans for prosperity endorsed me last week Vivek Ramaswamy was next, with Megyn Kelly reminding him that he has not been consistent with his behavior, having begun his campaign casting himself as a unifier, but in the first debate accused all of the other candidates as being bought and paid for. In the second debate, however, he said these are good people on this stage, and that he rejected the practice of personal insults. She then ran down a laundry list of things he said in the third debate. By debate number 3, you called Nikki Haley corrupt, accused Ron DeSantis of wearing high heels and told Ambassador Haley she should keep a closer eye on her daughter. Can you see how this has led some to conclude you are not in fact a unifier and to question your authenticity? Vivek quipped about Doug Burgum being on the stage at the last debate and that Ron DeSantis is a good guy, but then attacked Nikki Haley on the issue the moderator brought up about Haley's windfall after leaving government. Nikki, you were bankrupt when you left the UN. After you left the UN, you became a military contractor. You actually started joining service on the board of Boeing, whose back you scratched for a very long time, and then gave foreign multinational speeches like Hillary Clinton is. And now you're a multimillionaire. That math does not add up. It adds up to the fact that you are corrupt. Built on the influence accusation, naming Reid Hoffman as one of Nikki Haley's largest supporters. This checks out. Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, did donate $250,000 to a Haley Super PAC this week. He is a big Democrat donor though. Why did he do that? He freely admits why, stating that he will enthusiastically vote for President Joe Biden, but that my first priority is to defeat Trump and the primary is the first of two chances to do so. Ramaswamy then reiterated the support of Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, and how it may be germane. And to say that doesn't affect her is false because it's after that meeting later that day that she says that every American needs to be doxed by having their ID, their government issued ID tied to what they say on the internet. To that accusation and the larger question of influence over her, she shot back. And in terms of these donors that are supporting me, they're just yeah. jealous. They wish that they were supporting them, but I'm not going to sit there and She met with Fink. Yes, she did say that. Correlation does not necessarily equal causation, however. On this issue, it's not conclusive. But for Haley to suggest that the millions, likely billions when it's all said and done, that these heavy hitters are going to pump into her campaign will not buy them any influence from a president Haley is ridiculous on its face. If she wins, these power brokers will have a direct line to the Oval Office. This is wrong, but it's nothing new. Every politician has some person or interest leaning on them. When you're talking about this many zeros though, the pounds per square inch of pressure are significant. If she wins, the White House IT guys won't even have to switch green phones. Just change the numbers on the speed dial. 
Back to Nikki Haley under fire, DeSantis jumped in, talking about his work against BlackRock in Florida, saying, In Florida, they were managing our pension, part of our pension, and then when they did the ESG, I took $2 billion away from BlackRock. We took action. This ESG, they call it Environment Social Governance, and again, Nikki is meeting with all these people, uh, they want to use economic power to impose a left-wing agenda on this country. They want basically to change society without having to go through the constitutional process. We've kneecapped it in the state of Florida. The next president of the United States needs to be able to go to that office on day one and end ESG. And the fact of the matter is, we know from her history, Nikki will cave to those big donors when it counts. And then Ramaswamy tagged back in with... The only person more fascist than the Biden regime now is Nikki Haley, who thinks the government should identify every one of those individuals with an ID. That is not freedom, that is fascism, and she should come nowhere near the levers of power, let alone the White House. It quickly turned into DeSantis and Ramaswamy piling on Haley. She went after DeSantis, claiming... So hypocritical, because he actually went and tried to push a law that would stop anonymous um, people from talking to the press, and went so far to say bloggers should have to register with the state if they're going to talk about write about elected officials. It was in the check your newspaper. It was absolutely there. Well, Nikki, I did check on that, and it was not a DeSantis effort. It was a Republican state senator who proposed the bill. It was filed in February of this year and died in committee in May. Haley got beat up pretty bad. Remember, we're still on the first question, and Chris Christie hasn't even gotten his turn yet. Megan began by recounting that Chris Christie endorsed Trump in 2016 and 2020, giving him an A for his first term. But now Christie has turned on him, calling him a liar, a loser, a con man, and someone who cannot win, and said that, quote, you even got into this race just to stop President Trump. She then contrasted Trump's 81% approval rating with Christie's 25% among Republicans before getting to the core of the question. Respectfully, Governor, you have not stopped, Mr. Trump. And voters may wonder how you could possibly become the nominee of a party that does not appear to like you very much. Christie didn't blink, but went after Trump without fear. But the fact of the matter is the truth needs to be told. And for us to go 17 minutes without discussing the guy who has all those gaudy numbers you talked about is ridiculous. I'm in this race because the truth needs to be spoken. He is unfit. This is a guy who just said this past week that he wants to use the Department of Justice to go after his enemies when he gets in there. I mean, the fact of the matter is, he is unfit to be president, and there is no bigger issue in this race, Megan, than Donald Trump, and those numbers prove it. Round one done. The moderators moved on to the subject of Israel, with Elizabeth Vargas taking over, asking Ron DeSantis about the continuous attacks on American military in the region, and the American hostages in Gaza, and how far he would go to get our people back. DeSantis turned it into an indictment of Biden, mentioned his military service, talked tough, complained about Iran, asserted his stand with Israel, but never answered the question. As I was processing this, Christie went after him on just that. This is the problem with the first three debates. Ron gets asked a question, and he doesn't answer it. Your question was very specific. You said, would you send American troops as commander-in-chief? And he went on to this minute-and-30-second hosanna about his knowledge of the military and what we need to do and didn't answer your question. Look, when you're president of the United States, you're not going to have a choice whether to answer that question or not. 
your generals, your secretary of defense, your secretary of state, your national security advisor are going to present plans to you. They're going to look at you and say, do we go or don't we, Mr. President? And you can't give a 90-second speech about your military services. So would you, would you send American troops in to rescue I those hostages? I would absolutely, absolutely, if they had a plan which showed me that we could get them out safely, you're damn right I'd send the American army in there to get our people home and get them home now. And I'll answer that question directly. Thank you, Governor. He got some good content, making DeSantis look weak, and got a chance to steal his thunder. DeSantis stayed quiet, and the moderator moved on to Vivek Ramaswamy. Moderator Eliana Johnson reminded Ramaswamy of his calling Nikki Haley irresponsible when she called Hamas's attack on Israel an attack on America and to finish them, and why he thought it wouldn't be a good thing to finish Hamas. He defended his statements while lacing in an insult on Haley. But to say that that was an attack on America fails a basic test. I mean, Nick, if you can't tell the difference between where Israel is and the U.S. is on a map, I can have my three-year-old son show you the difference. He invoked David Ben-Gurion's belief that Israel should be self-sufficient in support of his hands-off approach and used it as a jumping-off point to mention U.S. border security. DeSantis mentioned that Americans were killed in the attacks as well and that, quote, we should work with Israel to bring these people to justice, and Vivek agreed. Johnson then turned to Nikki Haley to talk about Iran, reminding Haley that she had contrasted herself with Biden. Nikki said she would punch them once and punch them hard. The moderator asked if Haley meant it was time to bomb Iran. Haley said no, just that Iran only responded to strength and suggested the Biden administration is not doing that. She repeated the punch statement, but clarified. You've got to punch them, you've got to punch them hard and let them know that. That's the only way they're going to respond. So the way you do that is you go after their infrastructure in Syria and Iraq where they're hitting our soldiers. That's what you do, and then that's when they'll back off. Haley then started connecting dots, starting with Russia in dire straits in Ukraine, getting drones from Iran and missiles from North Korea. She suggested Iran greenlit the Hamas attack because it was Putin's birthday and that the attack on Israel has drawn all attention away from Ukraine to Russia's benefit. Huh. Putin's birthday. That came out of left field. There were suggestions that the October 7th date was meant to align with the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, but I checked and Vladimir Putin's birthday is, in fact, October 7th, 1952. A dragon in the Chinese calendar, a water-type dragon according to the internet, described as persevering, vigorous, and far-sighted. Well, he sure didn't see that Ukraine fighting so hard. Uh, he sure as heck doesn't follow the traits of a Libra, so maybe the Chinese had the pseudoscience of astrology right. But back to the show. Ramaswamy jumped in suggesting his peace deals were ahead of the curve and that the, quote, neocons are slowly coming around to his way of thinking before connecting Haley to Biden and suggesting is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the UN and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. And there's a puppet master right there. The donors, the donors right there that are playing with the puppet master. Let me just say something here. You know, his reasonable peace deal in Ukraine, he made it clear. Give them all the land they've already stolen. Promise Putin you'll never put Ukraine in Russia. And then trust Putin not to have a relationship with China. Let me tell you something. 
That's no that's reasonable. Not my deal. That's that, not my deal. Yes, it's exactly what I'll, you said. I'll describe you my deal. You do this in every debate. I'll just, I'll you say, exactly no, no, don't interrupt me. I didn't do. interrupt you. Okay? You say this. You do this. You do this in every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to I'll say what? Exactly no, what I said, Chris. I'm not I'm done have... yet. Well, this now is. Now look. Hold this on. is. Hold on. This man is stupid. This man is stupid nonsense. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. I want to say something else. We're now 25 minutes into this debate, and he has insulted Nikki Haley's basic intelligence, not her positions, her basic intelligence. She doesn't know regions. She wouldn't be able to find something on a map that his three-year-old could find. Look, if you want to disagree on issues, that's fine. And Nikki and I disagree on some issues. But I'll tell you this, I've known her for 12 years, which is longer than he's even started to vote in a Republican primary. <laughs> and while we disagree about some issues and we disagree about who should be president of the United States, what we don't disagree on is this is a smart, accomplished woman. You should stop insulting her. So I'm going to take this. I'm going to take several times over. So first of all, I think we just learned something from Chris Christie. We learned three things. We learned three things right there. First of all, Chris Christie also doesn't know what provinces in eastern Ukraine he actually wants to fight for. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor, just walk yourself off that stage, enjoy a nice meal, yeah. and get the hell out of this yeah, race. When it comes to Nikki, I think if you're going to actually you send your sons and daughters while, to go die in somebody else's voting. war, Hold on, you you better, excuse voting. me, Chris, I'm speaking, and I'm not done yet. I haven't heard the time when you are We're going to be done. So listen up to this. Is If these people want to send your sons and daughters to go die in Ukraine, they've been arguing for it for a year. $200 billion of our taxpayer money sent over. Neither of them could even name for you the provinces that they actually want to protect. And this is the people who have been touting their so-called foreign policy experience. It is intellectual fraud. These people are lying to you, the same people who told you about weapons and mass destruction in Iraq to justify that invasion, didn't know the first thing about it, yet they sent thousands of our sons and daughters to go die. The same people who told you the same in Afghanistan, where the Taliban is still in charge 20 years later. Seven trillion of our national debt due to these toxic neocons. You could put lipstick on a Dick Cheney, it is still a fascist neocon. Thank and you, you Mr. Ramaswamy. Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Dick Cheney all over again at okay. this point. Thank you, Mr. Ramaswamy. Yeah. 15 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Name the provinces. Neither of you could even name the provinces. Let me just say that. It's actually Crimea is the wrong province. All right, let me just say this. You know, this is the kind of thing where he talks about experience. You know, I was the U.S. attorney in New Jersey when the terrorist attacks were launched against the United States in 2001. I brought the two, first two cases in this country against terrorists who tried to attack us again. And I know about the threat of terrorism and bullying in this country and around the world. And at that time, 
he was learning about the provinces in Ukraine, sitting with his smart-ass mouth at Harvard. That's what was going on. And so uh, the fact of the matter is, and back then he was a Democrat. So you know, the fact the fact is the fact is that all he knows how to do. You're busy hugging All he knows how to do. All he knows how to do is insult good people who have committed their lives to public service and not say anything that moves the ball down the field for the United States. All right, thank you, Governor Christie. We are going to take a quick break, cool things down a little bit. Well, oh, that escalated quickly. Haley just stood there, very uncharacteristic of her. Christie jumped on him, very in character for him, to defend Haley again while she just stood there. Points for Christie hitting Ramaswamy, but points for Vivek for getting his message out. No points for Haley. That looked very bad for someone who has gotten this far by being ready and willing to scrap. Nikki Haley looks like a different person tonight. Coming back from break, we turn to the border, illegal immigration and fentanyl. The moderator reminded Don, Ron DeSantis about his previous comments, saying he would send the military on the southern border with orders to shoot anyone carrying fentanyl stone-cold dead, correctly calling it extrajudicial killing. She pointed out that he was a lawyer and asked how he thought this could be legal. He responded with political word salad and anecdotes and gave us a soundbite somebody will run with. So that means gonna, shooting first. It means you're going you're gonna, to uh, categorize them as foreign terrorist organizations, uh, and we will identify just like we would anywhere. When I was in Iraq, the, Ara the, the Al-Qaeda wasn't wearing a uniform. You'd see anyone walking down the street, they all had man dresses on. You didn't know if someone had a, a bomb, an IED attached, or not. And so you had to make a judgment based on intelligence, based on positive identification, but we're going to be able to get the intelligence on these cartel people. And here's Man dresses. Okay, but you didn't answer the question, though. Wall, blah, blah, he wants to tax foreign remittances from people working in America, sending money back to their home countries to pay for the magical wall that everyone thinks will stop the deluge of people swarming across the border. What's that? Those look like walls. All year, News Nation has been at the border documenting the crisis. In 2023 alone... Border Patrol encountered a record 2.4 million migrants. All four of you have talked tough. The question now is how realistic is the talk? Well, the ones that exist don't appear to be working real well. More walls that similarly don't work real well are not going to do much if the policies on this side of them don't work at all. Nikki Haley was then given a chance to speak to her competing statements on whether she would catch and deport all illegal immigrants but she also said she wouldn't deport the ones that were working and paying taxes. So first of all, what I said is all of the seven or eight million illegals that have come under Biden's watch absolutely have to go back. We have to stop the incentive of what's bringing them over here in the first place. Biden just gave temporary protective status to 500,000 Venezuelans. That's a half a million social security cards. That's a half a million driver's licenses. And I know from my time at the United Nations, the first thing they do is pick up the phone and said, we came over, come on over. And that's what sends more. You have to go and deport these people so they know it can't happen again. For those that have been here longer than that, we've got to start seeing who is it, how long have they been here, have they been vetted, have they paid taxes, have they been working, and figure out who else is out there. Exactly how does someone in the country illegally pay taxes? Passive taxes like sales tax are unavoidable, but when I sit down every year to do my income taxes, one of the items of information I need to put in is the social security number. Again, how does someone in the country illegally have a social security number? I'm being purposefully obtuse. I know how that happens, and it's illegal too, but why stop now? 
She advocated for the Remain in Mexico policy, fine, but also sending special forces into Mexico, something she has been saying. As before, I remind the former UN ambassador, Mexico is a sovereign country, and what you are suggesting is an act of war. If Mexico is unaware of or not in agreement with the United States soldiers operating on its soil, yes, they are not a good neighbor. They export their problems rather than fix them, sending their people across the border into the U.S. to subsidize their own economy and escort Central and South American people from Mexico's southern border through Mexico to the border with our country to do the same. The government of Mexico is acting very much like an adversary, but you are talking about an escalation into actions that we would condemn if another country that was not Israel did them. How far are you willing to go, Nikki? What happens if you sneak some SOC team into Mexico and they get hurt, killed, or pinned down? What if the Mexican police or military, as bought and paid for as they might be, respond to an armed engagement in their country, and now we have United States and Mexican military exchanging fire, taking casualties, and creating the tinder for an actual war with our southern neighbor? Is hypothetical President Haley ready to go to Congress and ask for a declaration of war with Mexico? You better be ready to do that, because that's the road you're looking at going down. She finished with the discussion of China and their role in fentanyl, and that woke Ron DeSantis up, and they went back and forth with the same finger-pointing, accusing each other of being soft on China, petty insults back and forth. I'll spare you with that tired, oft-repeated stuff. It's been beaten to death. The moderator moved on to Ramaswamy, who the moderator said vowed to annihilate drug labs inside Mexico, something the president of Mexico said would be a hostile act. Oh, he did, did he? Who does the president of Mexico think he is? Doesn't he realize that these people want to be president of the United States? Dude must think he's leading, you know, like another sovereign country or something. Anyway, Ms. Vargas correctly pointed out that fentanyl can be manufactured anywhere and asked if this tough talk was offering false hope. Vivek pretty effectively used the question to connect the dots from Mexico to China and then speak to the larger issues. But I want to get back to this issue of the root cause because a lot of these are coming from labs in Wuhan, China, of all places. <laughs> drug materials that are going to the Mexican drug cartels that they're pumping across that southern border like a modern opium war. I think it's going to take a U.S. president that's going to have a very different conversation with Xi Jinping than what Joe Biden just had in California. I will tell Xi Jinping, you will not only not buy land in this country or donate to universities in this country, U.S. businesses won't expand into the Chinese market until they're playing by the same set of rules. And the same country that's putting fentanyl into illegal pharmaceuticals in Mexico it's no coincidence, is the exact same country that also unleashed hell on the world with the COVID-19 pandemic. We also have to hold them accountable with every financial lever that we have available. Thank that you. is what it actually means to stand with a spine. And you mark my words, if we're willing to stand with the spine, China will absolutely have to fold because they're in a tougher spot than we are. And then we're back to playing by the same set Thank of rules. You. Sounds good, but can he actually do it? We then moved on to the economy, with Ms. Johnson asking Ms. Haley in light of the rapidly rising home costs if the federal government should intervene. Haley blamed the Fed, lack of supply, and the bank regulations before saying we have to grow the economy, cut government spending, and lower the deficit. So, no answer. Those are all good things. Those are all easy to say things. You didn't really connect the dots on that, though. Let me take a stab at it, since you didn't. President Mike, do you think the federal government should intervene in the housing crisis? Thank you for the question, Ms. Johnson. The answer is yes. First, I will set up a fact-finding group reportable directly to me. 
they will gather up data to paint a picture of exactly what is going on in this market so we can address it from a knowledgeable position. I will request Congress hold hearings to investigate the concerning trend of hedge funds vacuuming up affordable single-family homes, often called starter homes. They are called this because they are the ones new home buyers can afford and then use to build equity and credit ratings so they can at some point move up to more expensive homes, thus putting this one back on the market for the next home buyer to do the same. I will eliminate any subsidies or favorable lending policies these funds are using to squeeze individual buyers out of the market and spearhead legislation to identify categories of housing like this as special asset classes, shielded from such predation in the future. I am pro-business, and if big money wants to build condos and apartments, fine, but low-cost, single-family homes are off-limits to Gordon Gecko. Greed is not good for the American people. Next, I would use the information previously gathered to target subsidies, tax incentive, and industry protections to ignite home building in America. It would need to be closely monitored on a continuous basis to ensure it doesn't deviate into areas and paradigms that don't directly impact to construction of affordable homes, built by Americans, with materials also built by Americans, for Americans. This improves the lives of the homeowners and drives home construction, which creates jobs both in construction itself and all feeder and aftercare industries, which elevates the income and quality of life for millions of people and restarts the heartbeat of American dream. Pause for applause. Folks, I'm typing this at 1.30 a.m. I'm on cup of coffee, I don't even know what. And I just created that whole thing on the fly because Nikki Haley's answer was so pathetic it pissed me off enough to respond to it. It's not rocket science. It's basic economics combined with actual concern for our fellow citizens. I'm in my 50s. Damn, that hurts. Anyway, I think the house I grew up in was around $75,000 when my mom bought it in the 80s. It's probably three hundred, four hundred thousand $400,000 now. I remember how it affected her, breaking the cycle of renting, and how it affected me having an actual home. I'm old school. Renting, in my opinion, unless your lifestyle precludes putting down roots, should be a temporary situation, a stepping stone to home ownership. The American dream is a good one, and it worked. It would work again if people could attain it. The younger generations complain a lot, but to be fair, every generation does. But a lot of it is silly shit. But on this issue, though, inflation and the housing crisis, listen to these young people. They are telling us what is going on, and they were 100% right. The American dream is out of reach for them, and it has real effects now and into the future. It can be fixed if we have a president who understands the old saying, it's the economy, stupid. But I digress. Back to politicians moving their mouths. Ah, inflation. I guess the moderators noticed too. The latest News Nation decision desk poll found that inflation tops the worries of American voters. 61% say they're very concerned, and the working class is hardest hit. Economists say this was fueled by a glut of federal spending. The Biden administration has added $6 trillion to the national debt so far. But President Trump wasn't exactly a penny pincher. His administration added $7.8 trillion. Do Republicans, including President Trump, share the blame for inflation? And what concrete steps would a President DeSantis uh, take to help Americans make ends meet? The borrowing, printing, and spending of money was both parties in Washington, D.C. That's just a fact. These Republicans in Washington have spent. It's driven your prices higher, and it's driven your interest rates to the point where you can't afford I'll spare you the typical politician anecdote, the I'm in a family in, insert place you're pandering to. Uh, it's transparent and hot air. 
DeSantis said the same things Haley did basically with the same amount of detail, none, and added domestic oil production to reduce gas prices. I'm not entirely sure domestic production would do that, but gas prices do impact the economy in many ways, so if it could be helped, it will have an exponential effect on the economy. He brought up student loans next, another issue crushing young people. You know, another thing that's burdening young people are these student loans. Now, I don't support having a truck driver having to pay a student loan for someone that got a degree in gender studies. That is wrong. We should not have taxpayers do that. What I'm going to do, though, is I'm going to get to the root cause of the problem. These student loans are going to be backed by the universities because they need to have an incentive to produce gainful employment for people. They should not be indulging in ideological studies. They should be focusing on things that work. And we're going to take some of this money and we're going to move it to actual vocational training. In Florida, we doubled apprenticeships. We have more truck drivers. These are in-demand skills. Don't let anybody tell you that the only way you can be successful is through a four-year brick and ivy degree. That's one way you can be. It's not the only way. And we're going to fix that problem in the United States of America. Of course, he had to put his social commentary dig in, but the idea of dragging the university's skin into the game is interesting. That might help. If they knew they would have to justify their curriculums rather than just sell them to kids. Vivek Ramaswamy was then asked about his advocacy for and resistance to regulating cryptocurrency in contrast to the latest scandals. Look, fraudsters, criminals, and terrorists have been defrauding people for a long time. Our regulations need to catch up with the current moment. The fact that SBF was able to do what he did at FTX shows that whatever they have as the current framework isn't working. And I think it is nothing short of embarrassing that Gary Gensler, the current leader of the SEC, in front of Congress, could not even say whether Ethereum counted as a regulated security or not. And so I think that this is just another example of the administrative state gone too far. Here's the dirty little secret in American politics today. The people who we elect to run the government are not the ones who are even actually running the government. It is the bureaucrats in those three-letter agencies that are writing regulations that Congress never gave them the authority to write. And the good news is, a U.S. president can absolutely fix that. That takes a U.S. president with a spine. So what I've said is in my administration, by the end of year one, we will have a 75% reduction in the number of federal bureaucrats. We will shut down government agencies that should not exist. We will rescind any regulation that fails the test of West Virginia versus EPA, which is the most important Supreme Court case of our lifetime, that said if Congress didn't delegate that to an administrative agency, then it's unconstitutional. These are seismic changes. These are big changes that the next president can deliver without asking Congress for permission or for forgiveness. And I want people to understand that distinction because people have been sold myths by politicians for a long time saying, I'm gonna work with Congress to do this or that. Much of what you've heard on the stage from the other politicians fit that description, they need Congress. The things that I'm promising you, this is what the leader of the executive branch gets to do under Article 2 of the Constitution. The case he references, West Virginia versus EPA, is a 2022 Supreme Court case. In it, the EPA sought to regulate carbon dioxide emissions under the 2015 Obama-era Clean Power Plan. This would later be defunded by Trump in his 2018 federal budget. In the 2022 decision, the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three that Congress did not grant EPA the authority to devise emissions caps based on the generation-shifting approach the agency took in the Clean Power Plan. 
and that under this body of law, known as the Major Questions Doctrine, given both separation of powers, principles, and a practical understanding of legislative intent, the agency must point to clear congressional authorization for the authority it claims. Indeed, it could be said the executive branch overstepped its bounds. Certainly the federal bureaucracy is legion, and cuts could be made across the board, but 75% is a comical number. It would be a great thing to examine those departments and make them justify their existence, budgets, and staffing levels, though. Billions could likely be returned to more deserving uses. On the subject of Donald Trump, Megyn Kelly asked Nikki Haley if she supports ideological screening for immigration in light of what Trump is advocating. Well, I don't think that you have a straight-up Muslim ban as much as you look at the countries that have terrorist activity that want to hurt Americans. You do, you can ban those people from those countries. That's the way we should look at it, is which countries are a threat to us. You look at what came across the southern border. What worries me the most are those that came from Iran, from Yemen, from Lebanon, those areas where they say death to America. That's where you want to be careful. It's not about a religion. It's about a fact that certain countries are dangerous and are threats to us. A president has one job, and that's to keep Americans safe. And that's what we've got to do is make sure that we have good national security in that process. And that's the way you should look at it, is where the terrorist threats are, how we're going to deal with it, and what we're doing about it. And the biggest threat we have right now is communist China. But you have to also look at what Iran and Russia are doing as well. And we need to be paying attention to that. That's why we have to focus on things like cyber, on space, on artificial intelligence, and not just the regular things that we've always focused on. Ron DeSantis took the position that we shouldn't import people who don't respect our culture and tried to paint Nikki Haley as wanting no restrictions, a trope he keeps repeating but can't back up. Ramaswamy, again, with details and regulations to support, suggested... What about all of the illegals who are already here? Here's the answer. There's 287G in the law. That is a provision that already allows ICE agents to deputize or allow local law enforcement to enforce those ICE warrants. <clears throat> and it shocks me that nobody in the Republican Party is talking about it because there are one million then officials, law enforcement officials in this country, and against that backdrop, we absolutely have the ability to Thank deport you. anybody who's in this country illegally. Thank you, we Mr. Need to talk about more in this, in Thank this country. you. He's abrasive, he's rude, he's a conspiracy theory Trump fanboy, but he does frequently form cogent arguments. I'm not saying he's right or that we should agree with the things he proposes, but compared to Haley and DeSantis, he's usually much more detailed and adept at stringing his points together in a logical and digestible way. In my opinion, this approach is more effective than what those two are doing, but that's me. Perhaps you disagree. Christie spoke next. Trump had recently been asked if he would be a dictator if he won a second term in office, to which he said, no, except for day one. And tonight's moderator asked Christie what he thought of Trump's plans. Christie said, <laughs> I think it's completely predictable. I mean, look, he's made it very clear. There's no mystery to what he wants to do. He started off his campaign by saying, I am your retribution. Eight years ago, he said, I am your voice. This is an angry, bitter man who now wants to be back as president because he wants to exact retribution on anyone who has disagreed with him, anyone who has tried to hold him to account for his own conduct. And every one of these policies that he's talking about are about pursuing a plan of retribution. And yet, at the first debate, my three colleagues on this stage, when asked if he would be convicted of federal felonies 
Would they still support him, raise their hand, look into the camera, and let everybody know that they would still support him, even if convicted of federal felonies? Federal felonies, by the way. Federal felonies which involve our election process, federal felonies which involve the most sensitive of our governmental secrets, federal felonies where he instructed others to commit crimes, folks who are now agreeing to go to jail because of what they did in his name. So do I think he was kidding when he said he was a dictator? All you have to do is look at the history. And that's why failing to speak out against him, making excuses for him, pretending that somehow he's a victim, empowers him. You want to know why those poll numbers are where they are? Because folks like these three guys on the stage make it seem like his conduct is acceptable. Let me make it clear. His conduct is unacceptable. He's unfit. And be careful of what you're going to get. If you ever got another Donald Trump term, he's letting you know, I am your retribution. Thank he will you. only be, Elizabeth, he will only be his own retribution. He doesn't care for the American people. It's Donald Trump first. Thank you, Governor Christie. Governor DeSantis. Governor DeSantis. Thank you. Thank you. There went the fanboy, Ramaswamy, hand up. Duh, he's my hero, you betcha. Just drop out, my guy, and wait for Trump to make you his VP. You've put the work in, Vivek. Some of the hardest real work you've ever done in your self-serving life. You earned it, bro. You deserve it. Listen to that, the booze. That is why Trump is leading in the polls and Christie has no chance running as a Republican in this era, right or wrong. On to Ron DeSantis. DeSantis has created the impression with his rhetoric and ads that Donald Trump is not mentally fit to be president. Does he think that? He actually sort of answered the question. He, he is showing... Father time is undefeated. The idea that we're going to put someone up there that's almost 80 and there's going to be no effects from that, we all know that that's not true. Uh, and so we have an opportunity to do a next generation of leaders and really be able to move, move this country forward. We also need a president that can serve two terms. Uh, I don't think Donald Trump, I think he's going to have, a, I don't think he'd be, be able to get elected. The Democrats want him to be the nominee. We see that. They are going to turn the screws the minute if he got the nomination. But do you think he's mentally fit to be president? I think we need to have somebody younger. I think when you get up to 80, I don't think it's a job for that. 80. Wow. Biden is so in the spotlight wandering around that I forgot Trump was just four years behind him at 77. DeSantis did fairly point out Trump made similar promises in his last run and didn't deliver. After the loud applause, Christie attacked. The question was very direct. Is he fit to be president or isn't he? The rest of the speech is interesting, but completely non-responsive. And if we were in a courtroom, they'd strike the answer and say, Governor DeSantis, no, they you're, a smart, they would say that you're a smart they would man. That the, no, they would. No, they wouldn't, They would Chris. strike the answer no, they because you're not answering you it. Is he fit? Like, you, is have he your, fit? you have no. your thing. Is he fit you have or isn't he? Thing. No, I don't have my thing. We don't. He's the thing. Is we he do fit or isn't he? To do you're talking about him being 80 years old. It doesn't mean that somebody could get elected. That's not the people that are in this place. I think we have an opportunity to do somebody in the primary of Yes. We don't have to no worry about all this stuff with Ron. Stop, Santa, we can get it done, and we'll do it. I'm going to come to you. Finish. Look, father time is undefeated. I don't know how he would score on a, on a test, but I know this. We have an opportunity to nominate someone and elect someone for two terms who's going to be spitting nails on day one and for eight years so deliver you, you big results. We should think. not nominate somebody won't who's, in, who's, who's almost 80 years old. Okay. He's afraid to answer. No, I'm not. 
He's, no, you have to. No. Either, either you're afraid or you're not listening. No, it's not. There's a simple you know, you question. Know why I'm not is he fit? Is he fit? Is he fit? Hey, 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 no, 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 you're a new generation. You're 44 <laughs> years old. I wish I was still 44 years old. Okay? 45. So, well, congratulations. I'd still take 45. Is he fit or is he? And this is the problem with my three colleagues. They're afraid to offend. And See, let me I tell you I something. Want, if you're afraid, on, if you're afraid to offend Donald Trump, then what are you going to do when you sit across from President Xi, you sit across from the Ayatollah, you sit across from Putin. You have to be willing to offend with the truth. Okay. And answer the question. Fit or unfit? Okay, listen, 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 I promise Ron DeSantis okay. a minute and, and not and, a moment. It's not about offending. It's about pointing out, do you want to elect somebody who will be older than Biden was when he went in 2021? I, I don't think he was. he's as bad as Biden was at all, but I do think that over a four-year period, it is not a job for somebody that's pushing 80. We need somebody that's younger. We need somebody that's going to be able to go in there and clean house okay. on day one so he, and do it for two terms. <laughs> wow, that was wild. Chris Landon body shots tonight, and DeSantis just covers up and waits for the bill. Vivek jumped in to confirm his belief in the conspiracy theories popular among a faction of the Republican Party. I think the real enemy is not Donald Trump. It's not even Joe Biden. It is the deep state that at least Donald Trump attempted to take on. And if you want somebody who's going to speak truth to power, then vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. Why am I the only person on the stage, at least, who can say that January 6th now does look like it was an inside job? That the government lied to us for 20 years about Saudi Arabia's involvement in 9-11. That the great replacement theory is not some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement of the Democratic Party's platform. That the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech. That the 2016 election, the one that Trump won for sure, was also one that was stolen from him by the national security establishment okay. that actually Thank put you. up the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that they knew was false. There's a reason why I'm the only person That'll on the stage who can Thank say you. these things. That's what it's going to take, not people who were licking his boots one time and now Monday okay. morning quarterbacking and criticizing when it's convenient. Oh boy, let me get my foil. Hmm. Kelly turned to Chris Christie with a very controversial topic. Governor Christie. Oh. You do not favor a ban on trans medical treatments for minors, saying it's a parental rights issue. The surgeries done on minors involve cutting off body parts at a time when these kids cannot even legally smoke a cigarette. Kids who go from puberty blockers to cross-sex hormones are at a much greater likelihood of winding up sterile. How is it that you think a parent should be able to okay these surgeries, never mind the sterilization of a child? And aren't you way too out of step on this issue to be the Republican nominee? No, I'm not. Because, I, because Republicans believe in less government, not more. In less involvement with government, not more in government involvement in people's lives. And you know what, Megan? I trust parents. And we're out there saying that we should empower parents in education. 
We should empower parents to make more decisions about where their kids go to school. I agree. We should empower parents to be teaching the values that they believe in in their homes without the government telling them what those values should be. And yet, we want to take other parental rights away. I'm sorry. As a father of four, I believe there is no one who loves my children more than me. There's no one who loves my children more than my wife. There's no one who cares more about their success and health in life than we do. Not some government bureaucrat, not some, you look at these jokers down in Congress. It takes them three weeks to pick a speaker. And up until two days ago, they couldn't promote somebody in the military in the United States Senate who earned their new rank. And we're going to put my children's health and my decisions in their hands for them to make those decisions, for Joe Biden to make those decisions, for me and for my wife, let me just say this. This is not something I favor. I think it's a very, very dangerous thing to do. But that's my opinion as a parent, Megan. And I get to make the decisions about my children, not anybody else. And every parent out there who's watching tonight, you start to turn over just a little bit of this authority, the authority they're gonna take from you next, you're not gonna like. I'll stand up for parents each and every time. So there are laws, you do not, you do not have, have, drinking you do not have the right. Follow-up question for him, and you guys are going to get to weigh in. Okay, here's my follow-up question. You talk about parental rights. Let's talk about them. When you were governor in 2017, you signed a law that required new guidelines for schools dealing with transgender students. Those guidelines required schools to accept a child's preferred gender identity, even if the minor's parents objected. Not true. And it said that there is no duty for schools to notify parents if their son or daughter changes their gender identity, allowing this serious issue to remain a secret between the school and a child. That's How is any of that pro-parental rights? By the way, that's simply not true. You're doing what you accuse me that's of. Simply, that's absolutely that's true. simply not true. That's simply not true. That law was put into effect in 2018 and regulated in 2018 before I, after oh, I was out of office, the Megan. No, it, no, we did not, Megan. We did not issue those guidelines, no. and you're wrong about that. Simply wrong. I have stood up each and every time. So I think if this I is one issue choice, that's disqualifying, on. it's this one. I, I stood up every single time for parents to be able to make the decisions for their minor children. But parents- Every single time, parents should make those decisions. And by the way, you know what? Every once in a while, parents are gonna make decisions that we disagree with. But the minute you start to take those rights away from parents, you don't know that slippery slope, what rights are gonna be taken away okay. next, and you what's gonna be focused have, on as you. A the former litigator deftly parsed the counterpoint, demonstrated the inconsistency and the real concerns. On the second part, Christie is correct. He signed off on a law in 2017 passed by the Democrat-led legislature requiring the Department of Education to provide guidance on transgender policies. The actual guidance came along during the administration of his successor, Democrat Phil Murphy. Get your facts straight, Megan. You don't work for Fox anymore. DeSantis disagreed and took the opportunity to attack Nikki Haley on her stance on bathroom bills. Ramaswamy continued his attack on gender dysphoria as a mental disorder and stated his support for DeSantis on these issues. We spent the next two minutes of Haley and DeSantis bickering about bathrooms with Haley finishing with her desire to keep boys out of girls' sports. Back to Vivek, he was asked about his continued use of Haley's given first name, Nimrata, 
disrespectfully, and he launched into accusations of her authenticity, then did that thing he does. Nikki Haley's campaign launch video sounded like a woke Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light ad talking about how she would kick in heels. At the first debate, she said that only a woman can get this job done. That's what she said. After the third debate, when I criticized Ronna McDaniel after five failed years of leadership of this party, and criticized Nikki for her corrupt foreign dealings as a military contractor, she said that I have a woman problem. Nikki, I don't have a woman problem. You have a corruption problem. And I think that that's what people need to know. Nikki is corrupt. This is a woman who will send your kids to die so she can buy a bigger house. This is the problem. Using identity politics more effectively than Kamala Harris is a form of intellectual fraud. And it actually needs to end. There's our donor puppet masters wielding their puppet right up here tonight. This is how this game is played. The puppet masters put up their puppet, and I reject the use of identity politics in this party. It has been a cancer coming from the left, and I'm sick and tired of the double standards the people of this country are too. Having two X chromosomes does not immunize okay, you from thank criticism. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you. Governor Haley, would you like to respond? No. It's not worth my time to respond to him. You have been using identity politics at every step. She knows it's true, and that's why she's acting. Okay, Rolls eyes. If that's your thing, Vivek is your guy. Next was questions about the Justice Department vis-a-vis Trump's accusations of the department spying on him and protecting the Democrats and how the candidates would restore faith in the department. Christie was first. He led with his experience in the department and invoked 9-11, something that occurred right as he was coming in as a U.S. attorney, before explaining what he would do as president. So what I would do as president, having had that experience, and the only one who's had that experience, is to pick an attorney general who will absolutely do the same thing that John Ashcroft did, to pick U.S. attorneys who will only care about making sure that justice is done without regard to any other consideration but the facts that are presented and whether someone is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt and the government can prove it. We have had attorneys general like Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch and Jeff Sessions and now our current attorney general, who have not met that standard. And the only way you restore people's faith in the justice system is to put someone like that in charge of the Justice Department, and then as president, to get at the hell out of the way on anything that involves criminal investigations. If a president's involved in trying to do something and put their thumb on the scale, as Donald Trump says he will do, that makes people much less likely to believe our justice system can be fair. Next, the moderators had questions about the rise of anti-Semitic activity on college campuses. Nikki Haley weighed in on how she would balance free speech against suppressing radicals. You know, if this had been the KKK that was doing protests on those campuses, every one of those college presidents would have been up in arms. This is just as bad. The idea that they would go and allow that kind of pro-Hamas protest or agree with the genocide of Jews and try and say that they needed context on that, there is no context to that. This is what we need to do to deal with it. First of all, we have got to get foreign money out of our universities. You've got Arab money, you've got Chinese money, you've got others. We need to go to every university and say you either take foreign money or you take American money, but the days of taking both are over. Then she went deep in the weeds with a statement on TikTok. For every 30 minutes that someone watches TikTok every day, they become 17% more anti-Semitic, more pro-Hamas based on doing that. 
That was so off the wall, but so specific, I had to dig into it. Haley was apparently referring to research published November 30th on X and GitHub by Anthony Goldblum, a data scientist and tech entrepreneur in San Francisco, who has been examining TikTok's Israel-related content. Goldblum ran an analysis of TikTok's hashtags and worked with polling firm Generation Lab to survey young adults about their social media use and their views about Jews. That's quite a bold statement. What was the methodology used to arrive at those figures, which I am certain are already getting forward across social media accounts of right-wing people as unassailable fact already? Well, the questions asked of young adults were, 1. Jewish people can be trusted just as much as other American people in business. 2. Jewish people are just as loyal to America as other American people. 3. I am just as open to having Jewish friends as I am to having friends from other sections of American society. 4. Compared to other groups, Jewish people have too much power in the media. 5. Jewish people talk about the Holocaust just to further their political agenda. 6. Jewish people chase money more than other people do. 7. I am comfortable spending time with people who openly support Israel. 8. Israel has a right to exist as a homeland for the Jewish people. 9. Israel's right to defend itself against those who want to destroy it. 10. Israel and its supporters are a bad influence on our democracy. 11. Israel can get away with anything because its supporters control the media. And 12. Israel treats the Palestinians like the Nazis treated the Jews. They were then asked about their daily interaction with TikTok, with Goldblum finding people who said they spent at least 30 minutes a day on TikTok were 17% more likely to hold anti-Semitic or anti-Israel views compared to those who didn't use TikTok at all. Okay, that's not what she just said. She said for every 30 minutes it was 17%. That would mean in just shy of six hours a person would go from what's a Jew to a card-carrying member of the Nazi party. Haley is justifiably getting dragged on social media over this flub right now, and even the author of the survey, Anthony Goldblum, said in an interview Thursday that Haley summarized his research incorrectly, though he said he didn't hold it against her. He said that her quote would have been accurate if she made it clear that it was 30 minutes a day. Avoidable, Nikki, be better. Invoking the recent attacks on Israel and the failures in intelligence gathering and analysis that allowed them, and also the warnings of FBI leadership who say they see, quote, blinking red lights everywhere, what threats does Ms. Haley think could blindside us? Haley started by saying Biden is a worry, mentioning the easiest vector into America is through the southern border. Next, Ron DeSantis was asked if he would send U.S. troops to defend Taiwan if they attacked them, something President Biden said he would do. He suggested he would deter that, but what if it didn't work, she asked, and he just dismissed it saying it would. He took a shot at Haley, suggesting her supporters are pro-China. Again, he did not answer the question. This is textbook DeSantis. Ramaswamy was reminded of a statement he had made. If you want to stop Z from invading Taiwan, let's open a branch of the NRA in there and put an AR-15 in the hands of every family and train them how to use it. He was asked if this was a serious policy proposal, and if not, why keep repeating it? He didn't answer that at first, but spoke to other policy ideas. I think the next U.S. president needs to be crystal clear that at least for the foreseeable future, the U.S. will absolutely defend Taiwan. And it is with that clarity that we actually achieve deterrence. But I have a broader strategy than that. We need to get on side in our relationship with India, take it to the next level. India has to be able to block the Andaman Sea, which is where China gets most of its Middle Eastern oil supplies. That's critical. I also do believe the Second Amendment is a critical way of preventing foreign autocrats from being able to 
it's worked in america why wouldn't it work in taiwan so it is part of a broader strategy but i do think that we need to be specific about our deterrence strategy or else she didn't think is just encroaching by the day and the reason why we're not doing it for china i want to be crystal clear is because we're scared why are we scared because we depend on them for our modern way of life why do we depend on them for our modern way of life it's because nikki haley's latest friends like larry fink have created commingled economies with BlackRock telling Exxon and Chevron they can't drill here while being a shareholder of PetroChina, not applying those same constraints in China. So it is our economic dependence on China that makes us scared. If that were a Russian spy balloon, we'd have shot it down in an instant. If that were a Russian spy base in Cuba, we'd be turning the, we'd be, we'd be actually going hard on them instead of turning the other way as we are with China. So it comes back down to that economic dependence. We cannot depend on them for our pharmaceuticals, our semiconductors, and people have been lied to for a long time. Our own military, the F-35 jets that we make in this Thank country, you. depend on China. And it's going to take you. an outsider to fix that broken establishment. Thank you, Mr. Ronald. Again, he made maximum use of his time with actual policy ideas, unlike Ron DeSantis. Haley's answer to China included making sure we continue to support Ukraine, strengthen our alliances, and look out for our dependency on China. I mean, when it comes to China and Taiwan, the one way that we keep China from going into Taiwan is... One, make sure that we win in Ukraine, that we protect our friends, but also let China know that there'll be hell to pay if they go into Taiwan. They need to know that there is going to be a force that's going to go against them. And they need to know it's not just going to be the United States. That is why we need to build our partnerships with India, with South Korea, with Japan, with the Philippines, with Australia. We need to start pulling that alliance together. And the first way we do that is we need to make sure that on day one we look at the fact Whatever, if China pulled the rug out from under us tomorrow, would we be ready? Think about what happened during COVID. Everybody told you to wear a mask. They were made in China. Everybody told you to take a COVID test. They were made in China. Everybody went and, I mean, everything that happened, if you go to the drugstore, all those medicines are made in China. We have to make sure that we are not relying on China for anything related to our national security, which means let's start focusing on doing deals Thank with our you. friends now. Thank Christie was asked on his thoughts about the AR-15 for every Taiwanese idea. He quickly dismissed the idea we had constitutional authority to give Taiwan a Second Amendment and moved on to substantive comments on how to counter China and the policies of the past administration. I want to play the role of actually answering your question, which is if China went after Taiwan, you're absolutely right. I would, as president, have us go militarily and defend them. Um, secondly, I'm not afraid based upon those economic relationships to do that, because these economic relationships mean nothing, nothing. If what's gonna happen is that China is gonna come and act in that region of the world however they see fit. It's not right. And, and, and I'll say this about um, what you know I heard from Nikki earlier. She said that Donald Trump was good on trade. He wasn't. And the proof that he wasn't good on trade with China is that all he did was impose tariffs, which raised the prices for every American. You want to know what has contributed to inflation in this country? Yes, it's more government spending. Yes, it's the fact that we're printing too much money. Absolutely. But it is also the increase in prices that were driven by Thank Donald you. Trump's tariffs. And, and one last thing. You can't say he was good on trade because he didn't trade. He didn't change one Chinese policy in the process. He failed on it. The next question was for Ron DeSantis. 
The Trump administration and many other Republican politicians have kept promising to get rid of Obamacare and never delivering. But DeSantis is not only promising the same thing, but something even better. While Florida has more uninsured people than other states, why should we trust you? Answer, word salad. No answer. DeSantis again. Vivek did not waste his time like that, but got something said. So here's the answer. We don't have a health care system in this country. We have a sick care system. We need to start having diverse insurance options in a competitive marketplace that cover actual health, preventative medicine, diet, exercise, lifestyle, and otherwise. And okay. here's how we deliver that. End the antitrust exemptions for health insurance companies. That's where the competitive marketplace begins. Next that's crony capitalism, and that's the answer. Transparency, I share this view, and have since well before Obamacare passed. There is real substance to that argument. On government protecting vaccine companies from liability under the Trump administration, Ramaswamy answered well and found a place to hit Haley. Well, this question specifically on liability goes back to actually Reagan. And Reagan is a president who I admire. Many of us do. I think that reviving that spirit is in many ways going to be good for this country in so many ways. But one of the areas where he erred was this special form of lobbying to say that one kind of manufacturer, a vaccine manufacturer, cannot be sued for their product liability. So I have pledged it is part of my legislative agenda. We will repeal that, just like we will repeal every other form of crony capitalism. People who have been harmed by those vaccines deserve accountability. They cannot be forgotten Americans. And I think one of the top lessons we learned from that COVID pandemic is that free speech in this country is most important in those alleged times of emergency. If we had been allowed to openly debate the merits of those vaccines, they would have been never mandated in the way that they were. And in general, I don't think that we should want capitalism and democracy to share the same bed anymore. It's time for a clean divorce. Let companies be companies, but I don't like the crony capitalism. This dates back a long time in both parties. And I think that we need to end the lobbying. And I personally believe that if you have been working in the government, you should not lobby that government for 10 years. If you have been a government elected official doing deals with companies, be they Boeing or be they pharmaceutical companies, you should not join the board of that company for 10 years after. The former chairman of the FDA, the leader commissioner of the FDA, ended up on the board of Pfizer. Nikki Haley did deals with Boeing, ends up on the board of Boeing. I don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat. We need some basic principles that end the corruption in government. That's how we got the health insurance exemptions. That's how we got the pharmaceutical product liability okay. exemptions. We end the corruption. We Next, they were all asked what president they draw inspiration from. Christie picked Ronald Reagan, Haley picked George Washington, DeSantis picked Calvin Coolidge, and Ramaswamy picked Thomas Jefferson. And finally, what is it now, eight cups of coffee? Oh my God, I'm going to be so late dropping this show. I'm sorry, everyone. Finally, we get to closing statements. I'll just let this roll and let the candidates pitch themselves to you good people. Sure, thank you. I want you all to kind of picture in your minds election day. You'll all be heading to the polls to vote. And that's something that Donald Trump will not be able to do because he will be convicted of felonies before then and his right to vote will be taken away. You know, you look, here's the bottom line. You can boo about it all you like and continue to deny reality. But if we deny reality as a party, we're gonna have four more years of Joe Biden. When I, my colleagues here raised their hands and said they would support him even if he was a convicted felon, the bigger problem with it is they were confirming the lies he's told to the American people. If you're too timid to take on Trump, believe me, 
Others will get, will see that timidity. Xi, Putin and the Ayatollah, the border crossers on the southern border, and the criminals in our streets. They'll sense that timidity and they'll take advantage of that failure of leadership. We need to get back to an old American idea that every person is responsible for their own conduct, even a president. I'll be the kind of president who has the humility that knows that you work for the people. It's not the other way around. I will earn your trust. I want to earn your vote. Thank you, Governor Christie. Mr. Ramaswamy. I'll use this to just address a topic we didn't talk about tonight, but I think is one of the most important topics that needs to be discussed. That is this climate change agenda that is shackling this country like a set of handcuffs. I said at the first debate and I stand by it. The climate change agenda is a hoax because it has nothing to do with the climate. That's what we have to see. 98% reduction in the climate disaster related deaths in the last century. Eight times as many people are gonna die of cold temperatures this year than warm ones. Yet against that backdrop, there's an issue coming up in Iowa. It's core to Iowa farmers. I met Kim Junker. Kathy Stockdale and other farmers who are about to have a carbon capture pipeline built across their land using eminent domain to do it. That's unconstitutional and it's wrong. And if you thought COVID was bad, what's coming with this climate agenda is far worse. We should not be bending the knee to this new religion. That is what it is. It is a substitute for a modern religion. We are flogging ourselves and losing our modern way of life bowing to this new god okay. of climate and that will end on my watch thank it's you Ambassador Haley. that's coming up thank you thank you very much our country is in chaos we see it on the southern border we see it in our on our streets in our cities we see it on college campuses we feel it with our economy with inflation and with debt and we feel it around the world with wars in europe and within the middle east we have to stop the chaos, but you can't defeat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. And that's what Donald Trump gives us. My approach is different. No drama, no vendettas, no whining. I envision an America where we're protected from illegal immigration and Chinese infiltration. I envision an America where we unleash our economy and we reject socialism. But more importantly, I envision an America where we rediscover our national purpose and our pride. Thank you. I crushed Joe Biden in Thank the polls. You. And Thank if you, you give me this chance, we will crush him in November and take our Thank country you, back. Governor. Go to Nikki Thank Haley. Thank you, Ambassador Haley. We are in jeopardy of being the first generation of Americans to leave to our kids and grandkids in America less prosperous and less free than the one we inherited. I refuse to sit idly by and let that happen. But we got to have people that are going to be willing to fight the people that are doing this to us. You can't be these establishment Republicans that just cave at the first sign of opposition. I'll fight for you. We also need to win again as a party. Yes, win the election, which we've struggled to do, but also win on these big issues. And nobody has defeated these people more than what I have done in the state of Florida on issue after issue. We have won and we have won big, and that's what we'll do for you. We also need leadership. Leadership is not about doing what's easy. It's about being willing to set out that Thank vision, you. knowing they're going to shoot arrows at you. They're going to come at you. I Thank will fight you. the good fight. I will keep the faith, and I will finish Thank the you. race. Thank, Thank you, you, and God bless Thank you. you. Ooh, they didn't like Christie calling out Trump. Ooh, torches being lit. 
I have to give him and Vivek credit, though. They both made good use of their time and answered questions with real substance. DeSantis and Haley are looking very much the same old shit, almost interchangeable, talking a lot but saying nothing. DeSantis is getting strong applause after his blustery statements, devoid of specifics, so it's playing to the audience at least. Maybe I'm out of touch. I hope you've come away with some things to ponder about them and have a better impression of who they are and what they really stand for. I'll get to work on the Democratic Rebuttal Show. They had a great conversation, and I was pleased to finally hear their positions on the issue of the day and what their party is trying to pull. I'll drop that episode as soon as possible. Have a good night. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.